Bibles and turn to the book of Mark, Mark chapter 5. We are going to continue our series this morning called My Story. It's a series called My Story, and we're excited about this one. This series is different than anything else we do because each week you're going to hear from somebody in the church. You're going to hear just their story. And uh, you're gonna, we're going to show a, a video clip, and then you're going to hear from them in, in each of our two services. We're just going to have them share and their testimony of what, what God did in their life. And so let's start in Job, actually, chapter number 19. I'll read it to you. Just kind of put it up on the screen. Job said this, Oh, that somebody would write my story, or that my words would be written, that they would be engraved in a book, that they would be inscribed in rock. Job said this, I would hope that somebody would write my story. And then he said these words, and I love these words. Listen to them very quickly. He said, for I know that my Redeemer lives. Can I get an amen? Amen. Job said, I know that my Redeemer lives. It's not just that I have redemption. It's that I have a Redeemer. And I love that part because what that means is he didn't just redeem my past. He's also here to redeem my future. Amen? It's not just that I have redemption for the things that I've done. It's that, that going forward, if, if next week or next month or next year or even five years from now, I find myself in a pit. He is just one cry away and he will stretch out his hand, reach down and lift me up. He is not just my redemption. He is my redeemer. Somebody say hallelujah. So we have to know that we have a redeemer and Job in chapter number 19, 23 chapters away, from him actually seeing his redemption. He hasn't even made it to halftime yet. He hasn't even made it to halfway through the story. He is already, even before halftime, thinking that his life is going to end as a tragedy, that he will be a doom and gloom story. But how many of you know God was just setting Job up for a major comeback? Amen. God was about to turn the page. And even though it didn't happen the next chapter or five chapters later, it still happened that God restored and redeemed Job's life. Hallelujah. And Job said that somebody, that somebody would write my story. Hallelujah. Because this is going to be a story of God's redemption. That a story that somebody needs to hear that I have a redeemer. Amen. See, I believe this, that every God's story starts with I was. And the story of your life starts with this. When you go to give your testimony, when you go to share your faith, it always should start this way. This is what I used to be. This is an I was. This was my life before. See, if I'm, if I'm going to tell my life story, it's a, well, I was this. Paul even wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter number 6, he begins this list of things that, that you should avoid. This is, this is lifestyles to avoid. And then he says this. He says, and some of you were like that. But, hallelujah, 
Oh, listen, some of you used to be that way. Some of you used to live that way. Some of you were lost. You were in darkness. You were dead. You were absolutely blind. But, hallelujah, that's the turning point of the story. But, God, in fact, it goes on to say, God cleansed you. He washed you. He set you right. He made you right with him. Hallelujah. But, see, that's the way I used to be. This is my story. Yes, yes, I used to be like that. But God, in his mercy, hallelujah, aren't you glad for the mercy of God? Aren't you glad for the goodness of God? God, in his mercy, in his mercy, he reached down and he redeemed my life. Hallelujah. See, some of you weren't even supposed to be here. You're not even supposed to be alive. Huh? You're not even supposed to be living. You weren't supposed to see 2018. Is anybody just identify with that? You're not supposed to be here. You almost died five or six times. You shouldn't even be walking this earth. But God in his mercy has spared your life to this moment. Hallelujah. And we said two things, or one thing last week, and I'll say another one this week. And the first one is this. You need to know you have a story to tell. You have a story to tell, huh? And you need to get busy telling that story. Now, listen, I grew up in church, man. I, I, I cut my teeth on pews. I, I just, I grew up in church. I was in church all my life. I don't ever remember my life before church. So my life wasn't drugs and alcohol and drinking and all those things. I was still lost. I was still away from God. But I have a story to tell. My story might be different. My wife and I, we have a story to tell. Our story starts off like this. We were in a terrible marriage. We did not like each other. We hated each other. But God in his mercy, hallelujah, he turned the page. Huh? He said, listen, it's time to start a new chapter in your life. And so I have a story to tell. It is different than your story because, listen, your story is completely unique to you. And guess what? Nobody can talk you out of your story. Nobody can tell you it didn't happen, huh? Listen, I don't get into arguing a bunch of theology with people who don't believe. I don't get into trying to prove to them somehow. I don't begin to say, well, if you just look at the butterfly. I don't, I, what I say is look at me. This is my life. This is, this is what you should look at because this is what I used to be. But God in his mercy lifted me out of the pit. He set my feet on a rock and he put me on a whole new path. Somebody say Amen. See, that's the story that you need to tell because they can't argue with you, your life. I have a friend at, uh, in North Florida. Man, just the nicest guy you would ever meet. The kind of guy that would just take his shirt off his back for anybody. I mean, he just helped everybody and anybody. And I sat down with him one day in his house, and I said, his name was Marty, and I said, Marty, what was your life like before you met Jesus? He said, oh, you don't even know. I was mean. I was mean. I said, no, you weren't mean. There's no way. He said, oh, no, no. When I first got married, my wife cooked me spaghetti and didn't put any meat in the sauce. He said, so I picked up the plate. I threw it against the wall. I said, now clean it up and make me some spaghetti with meat in it. 
Cynthia was sitting with me when he told that story. She looked at me as if, if you ever. <laughs> huh? How many of you, you know, that's not something that everybody should try. So, so I said, well, what did your wife do? He said, she cleaned it up, made me spaghetti with meat in it. Because she didn't have anywhere to go. She didn't have a family to go home to. So she just, she did it. I'm like, you were a rotten person. He said, that was my life before Jesus came and redeemed it. See, it was, some of you were like that, but, huh? That's the best part, huh? But something changed. It's called the turning point of the story. And the second thing you need to know that I want to share with you today is this. My story is my mission. It is my mission. I want us to read from the Gospels about a particular man who the Bible says was tormented in his mind. This man was oppressed and possessed by demons and, and, and his mind was just constantly being tormented. He would grab rocks and he would cut his flesh open, hoping to die. He couldn't sleep, and so day and night, he would just walk around cemeteries and graveyards, just crying out, screaming, hoping for relief. In fact, people would try to chain him up, the Bible says, like an animal, but strength would come through the demonic possession, and he would break the chains and just continue this life, just completely tormented, hoping to die. But one day he met Jesus, hallelujah, and Jesus set him completely and totally and radically free, and his life was never the same after that. But watch in Mark chapter 5. Let's read Mark chapter 5. Watch what happens to this man. In Mark chapter 5, verse 18 says, And when he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them the great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis and all, the, all that Jesus had done for him. And they all marveled. Listen to it. They all marveled. I love what the, the message paraphrase, how the message paraphrase puts this. It says this, go home to your own people. Watch this. Tell them your story, what the master did, how he had mercy on you. Just tell them your story. Jesus actually says to this man, no, no, no. I got enough people following me right now. I don't need any more people following me. But here's what I need you to do. I need you to tell your story. I need you to go to where you are from, because this is the region that he was from. I need you to go, and I need you to tell your story. It's just your story. And he goes to a place called Decapolis, and Decapolis literally means ten cities. And so he begins to evangelize these ten cities. And one of those cities is Philadelphia, and there's another one named Hippa, and, and there's another city 
that is today a part of Syria called Damascus. And all of these regions, most of it makes up what is now known today as Jordan. And he becomes the very first evangelist into these cities. So before Paul ever arrived, before Timothy ever got there, before they ever heard of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, they witnessed this guy's life. And watch this. The Bible says, when they saw him, they went, wow. Now that is different. I mean, what happened? See, that's what people should say when they see us. They, they should see the before and then the after, and they should go, wow. That can only be explained one way. Jesus. Hallelujah. That's the only explanation for the transformation that has taken place. There has to be a God. Jesus has to be the healer. He has to be the redeemer. He has to be the one that saves our life because of what I see in that person. Your story, watch this, your story is your mission in life. And you have got to tell it. Why? Listen to me. Why are you holding on to it? I have people come to me and tell me stories and they say, hey, pastor, this is what happened to me. And I always tell them the same thing. Write it down. Write it down. Just write it down. Your story is your mission. It's your mission. This week I've asked somebody to share their testimony. And before they come up to tell what God did in their life, let's check out this video of of their life before. Would you watch this video this morning? Hello. Uh, My story begins with I was born into a family of believers. I um, have grandparents who prayed over me every single day by name and they do this for every family member and as you can imagine that has grown to be quite a few people so we're very blessed as a family to have them in our lives so at 10 years old i wanted to be baptized i really loved god and i wanted to get closer to him so i was baptized and i went and visited my grandparents in iceland that summer so that summer I was in a Bible study with them and their friends and just learned to love God even more. They suggested that I be baptized in the Holy Spirit, which they did for me and prayed over me. And even though I didn't speak in tongues at the time, I still knew that the Holy Spirit was with me. And I felt a strong sense of what right and wrong was. Despite this strong foundation, I also struggled heavily with insecurities and a strong desire to want to belong with my fellow peers. I had a not enough mentality. Um, I'm not sure where the root cause for that core belief came from, but I had it nonetheless. Um, I felt like I wasn't cool enough, I wasn't witty enough, I wasn't talented enough, I wasn't interested enough, and so on. I also struggled with depression going into my teen years, and I had um, thoughts of suicide since the age of 13. I never wanted to follow through with any of those thoughts, but fantasies would enter my imagination nonetheless. As 
the urge to want to fit in with my peers grew, my willingness to want to follow what was right became less. I easily would fall into peer pressure and started to experiment with drugs and alcohol at a rather young age. I found myself in many uncomfortable situations and would plead with God in those instances to please save me and not allow me to die. Tenth grade came along and my parents were ready for a change so we moved to North Carolina. It was definitely God saving me from that path I was going down because most of the people I had been hanging out with had dropped out of school, became drug addicts, and some even unfortunately have passed away. I started to go to youth group my junior senior year of high school and I stopped partying, but it was still in me to rebel. I went on to college and found myself in a physically abusive relationship for two years. The logical part of my brain was screaming to get out of it, but the emotional side that was twisted and warped felt loved somehow. I had never felt so lonely in my life and God definitely heard me cry multiple, multiple times during those two years. I didn't fully comprehend that God was enough. I was self-medicating all the pain and slipping further into depression. Any insecurity I had was multiplied by a hundred and any confidence I had was destroyed. The moment had finally come and I thought that he was going to kill me so that broke the spell, as you could say, that was over me and I finally got the courage to end the relationship. I left the relationship, but what remained was a lot of anger, pain, resentment, bitterness, and fear. I questioned my belief in God and whether or not He actually existed. I threw myself into partying and found out that drinking made me feel comfortable in my own skin and I could act myself around people rather than be an embarrassed, uncomfortable, awkward mess. God once again plucked me from that path, however, and I moved to Iceland after graduating college. Once again, I was rekindled with my grandparents and most importantly, my creator. I wish I could say I stopped rebelling against him from there, but I didn't. I moved back to Florida, met a boy, and became pregnant at the age of 24. The day I found out, he told me he didn't love me, had never loved me, and never will. I literally felt my heart fall from my chest into my stomach that day. That night, I didn't get a wink of sleep and contemplated my choices. I could have the child alone, I could get an abortion, or I could give it away for adoption. I thought about each option thoroughly, and yet again I found myself feeling alone and rejected. Ladies and gentlemen, would you welcome Siga Irizarry as she comes to share the rest of her story this morning. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I used to think of um, the children of Israel, read that story, and judge them <laughs> until I realized that's my story. <laughs> I'm constantly, or I was constantly going back and forth from God to, to the world. Um, so like I said in the video, I had a big choice to make. Uh, the guy made me very well aware that he would not be involved had I kept the child. Um, so the thought of abortion definitely ruminated in my mind. Um, after all, it was the easy choice. No one would have to know. Um, I didn't tell anybody, and I could just go about my life as is. 
However, some point during that night, um, like I said, I didn't sleep at all um, the night that I found out. I took abortion off the plate when I was thinking about it. I said, no, I'm not going to do that. Um, And as soon as that happened, the only way I can describe what I was feeling was as if a wave, like, you know, the ocean, a wave, a wave of peace came over me. It was so tangible. I've never felt that before, Um, but I could feel it in my entire body. Um, And so at that moment, I said out loud, all right, that was the right choice. (laughs) Like, we won't get the abortion. Um... And so now the question remains, do I keep the baby knowing that um, I'm going to do it by myself, or do I give it away for adoption? I didn't have much money. I was living with my parents, and I had no idea how my parents were going to take it because my parents, um, you know, were believers and and conservative. Um, So I made my choice, and I spoke to them the next day. Ultimately, they were very supportive, and immediately I knew the life choices that I had to make. And so I say very often, having that baby saved my life. Uh, I didn't know I was going to cry. <laughs> so um, I knew that, that that lifestyle I was leading had to stop. And I was going to raise my child in the church. Something I didn't mention was that while I was in Iceland and I was going to church, I had someone prophesy over me. And they said, you're coming to a crossroad and you have a choice you need to make. I said, okay. You know, I'm, I, I know what that choice is. It's either I stay here in Iceland or I go back to the U.S. And, um, and that wasn't it because when I came back home, I got that same prophecy again from somebody else in a different church. And that's when I was confused. I'm like, God, I don't get it. You gave that to me in Iceland, and now you're giving it to me again. What does that mean? I finally understood a few years later that he was showing me you have one foot in the world and you have one foot in the, in the church. You cannot serve two masters. You have to make a choice. You see, I thought the world could offer me what I wanted, love, joy, and happiness, but the world can only offer a facade. It may look like love and joy, but the reality underneath will bring you down a path you never intended. The Lord is still working in me, but in the process of writing my story, I can clearly see that he has done a great deal. He has restored and healed many of my past hurts. I am no longer that insecure child who thought she needed to wear a mask in order to be accepted. I am no longer a victim of pain, resentment, or fear. I now understand that any of those thoughts of suicide that came into my mind um, were not my own, and I know how to combat them. I am married to an amazing, patient, God-fearing man, despite being told no one would ever want me. I have two beautiful children that I absolutely adore. I have three, but I have two more is what I meant to say. I have an amazing church family that I never knew existed in Grace Chapel. I went back to school to receive my master's degree, which is an entirely separate testimony. 
I am leader of the Young Adults Ministry, which meets the first Friday of every month. I had to plug that in. <laughs> and most importantly, I know that I know that I know that I know I have a creator that loves me more than I can imagine. Hey, come on. Amen. Hallelujah. Siga also, let me just plug something else. He also leads a small group uh, for people who need inner healing so that she can continue to tell her story. People can argue theology and they could try to, to take things and scriptures and twist them. Nobody can argue with a life that has been transformed. And let me tell you, if you have never written down your story, if you've never told your story, or if it's been a long time since anyone has heard your story, you have a story to tell, and that story is your mission. And you can accomplish a lot of things in life, and your purpose goes way beyond just words, but... But your purpose in life, your mission in life is for you to reach people with your story because nobody has a story like yours. It is a story of God's love, God's redemption, God's mercy, God's goodness, God's grace.